Now, God, I pray as we, uh, as we just reflect on that truth, that in Christ, um, in Christ we have everything we need <laughs> and everything we could ever want, and that our most logical response is to give him our all. So, Father, may we do just that, even in our response to your word today. For it's in his good and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. Jason is not kidding. You all showed up for first service. Looks like Bill Zile and I will be singing worship for second service. That's right, man. That's our time to do it when nobody's here, man. <laughs> Whew. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Why don't you turn there? Philippians chapter 3. You all should be afraid we're even joking about that at this point. Um, while you're turning there, just a couple of a quick announcements for you. Um, we are like sign up central right now. Uh, there is so much going on in the next few weeks and months. Um, and so we have some sign ups available for you out there. So uh, I'll throw this one up here first, talking about our PG conference. Um, this is for parents. Parents, this is an important thing. Um, and, and I won't get completely sidetracked. I could, because I've given a few speeches about this even recently. Um, the reality is these little devices are wonderful, but they are also a portal to every, literally everything in the world that your teen may want to access. Everything. I'm not, everything is not hyperbole. Everything. And it can show up in front of their face in a matter of seconds. And so parents, what are you doing about it? Have you handed them a loaded gun? Are you parenting them well? And so what we want to do is, is give you this resource. A group is coming in, and they'll, they'll be uh, leading that day. It is a fantastic ministry. It is a fantastic conference. Today is the day to get signed up for that. Please don't wait. Get signed up for that. You can sign up for that out in the lobby. We've got a few computers set up. We've got people there ready to help get you registered and signed up for that. The other thing that we'd like you to sign up for is the upcoming Seder. That will be happening Thursday and Friday night of Easter week. Uh, just a point of clarification, it's not a two-night event. It'll only last about an hour, hour and a half, um, so you pick either Thursday or Friday night. Uh, the sooner you get signed up, the better it is for us because we can continue to make plans and what uh, items we need to order and what we need to have, if we need to add another service, all those different things. It is an opportunity for us to reflect on uh, an event that um, is first depicted in the Old Testament talking about the Passover meal and how that really is a pro prophecy pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Again, I will remind you and encourage you to invite people, but they need to sign up as well. You can sign them up. Um, and if you do invite people, particularly those who are of the, the traditional Jewish faith, the Orthodox Jewish faith, please be sure if you invite them to a Seder that you say it is a Messianic Seder. That's vital. Again, we don't want to bait and switch. It's really important you do that, okay? So you can sign up for that as well out in the lobby. And thus ends our announcements. And if you haven't found Philippians chapter 3 at this point, you can just close your Bible <laughs> and give, give up. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read our text this morning. Uh, I am not going to get to all of the text this morning. Uh, I'm going to push some of it to next week. Um, I, I think that probably is, is uh, in wisdom or else I will end up talking 1,000 miles an hour instead of 500 miles an hour. So 
Uh, but I'll read the whole text. Philippians chapter 3, let's start reading. Read along with me in verse 1. It says this, Paul talking to the church of Philippi says, in addition to all the things I've spoken about, first two chapters, my brothers, my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It surprises you to find more joy in Philippians, right? To write to you again about this is really no trouble to me. And, and it's a safeguard for you. So watch out for the dogs. Watch out for evildoers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. The ones who boast in Jesus Christ and we don't put confidence in the flesh. Although, dear Paul, I have reasons to be confident in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Jesus Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to Know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So again, like I said at the beginning, I know it's going to surprise you, but what Paul says to the Philippians right out of the gate is rejoice. This whole chunk, this whole passage is about rejoicing. Rejoice. And what, what Paul says is, how do you rejoice and how do you not rejoice? And, 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 and how do you rejoice and how do you suffer from a lack of joy? And, and those things really all are, are all wrapped up in what you think about righteousness. Your joy is wrapped up in what you think about righteousness. In fact, it's wrapped up in how you think you attain righteousness. So I'm going to tell you right out of the gate the answer to that, how do you attain righteousness? Just in case one of you falls asleep in the middle of this and and you missed the main point. The main point is this. Righteousness is attained as a gift from God. Righteousness is given to you. It's not something that you worked for. It's not a reward for your achievement. And one of the greatest thieves of our joy is getting that wrong. One of the greatest thieves of joy is not fully understanding what it means to have righteousness given to you. So I'm assuming most of us here in the room are familiar with resumes. So in the business world, you might write your resume. You, and nowadays, it's not just a resume. You've got to make it pretty now. Do all these crazy things. But the basic concept of a resume, the basic elements of a resume, I mean, obviously, you want your name, your address, your email address. Uh, and if you're not embarrassed by it, your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed. You put all of your educational achievements listed out, where you graduated from, what rank you had in the class. You put your previous work experience and work achievements on there. You list out all the things that make you uniquely you, and you list all of those things in an effort to argue that you are the one that deserves the job for which you're submitting your resume. 
So that's basically what a resume is, isn't it? It's an argument. You're arguing you deserve the job. Paul is about to do this for us. He's going to walk through the passage we just read, and he's going to point out how joyless it is to build your argument for why God should accept you. He's going to point out how joyless it is for you to try to build your own spiritual resume. Paul's going to tell us that, in fact, joy is found in receiving righteousness. So look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says this, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I I think it's very interesting, the end of verse 1, he says, to write this again to you so he knows he's being redundant. To write this again to you is no trouble for me, and it's actually a, a safeguard for you. Now, watch out for dogs. Watch out for evildoers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. So, so Paul is saying there are people who are trying to earn righteousness, and they're trying to convince other people to do the same. And he calls them dogs. Now, um, we're not talking about the cute little Pomeranian dogs. You can tell that by what follows. They're evildoers, and they mutilate the flesh. And, and, and on top of that, I think dogs is a miss in American culture. I mean, the culture of Paul is very different than the culture of Uniontown Bible Church in 2019. And so when we think dog, it it completely paints a different picture for us because we've got doggy daycare. You got bark parks and doggy sweaters. The pharmaceutical industry is making a killing on selling people who own dogs anxiety medication for their puppies. So it's a whole different picture. Now, just as an aside... If your dog comes in wearing a tailored sweater and is chilling on his anxiety meds, I am going to mock you, okay? And and be honest, man. If if you have to feed your dog anxiety medication and you're putting little Fido in a Barbie sweater, you should be afraid because one night he's going to eat you. Okay, so, so don't, I love you. I'm talking on behalf of Fido. Just let it go. It's okay. But that's the picture of dogs we have today. It's, It's a whole different idea. In Paul's day, they were nasty. They, they weren't domesticated. They, they were running around unclean, dangerous animals, eating whatever they could eat. They were hated. And so Paul says, these people who are coming in and saying, you need to earn your righteousness, he's calling them dogs. And he's not doing it in a way to, to, to call them a name. He's, he's actually using irony. Because in that day, those of the Jewish faith would call Gentiles dogs. They viewed them as filthy, unclean scavengers who were outside of the people of God. And here, Paul switches it up and he says, no, 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 no. They're the dogs. Because in their unbelief, they're outside of the people of God. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We're the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Jesus Christ, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Now, we are of the circumcision. I need to carefully explain that circumcision comment, okay? Don't worry, moms, dads, you're okay. I'll just go real general. <laughs> the idea of that, in, particularly in the, the Jewish tradition, would be a mark on the skin that would be obvious that you belonged to God. It set you apart from everybody else that existed. And so what the the Jewish tradition emphasized and what these individuals who were coming into Philippi were continuing to to insist was that you must follow the laws. You must follow the dietary laws. You must follow the the, the physical laws. You must follow the law of circumcision in order to get in, to to be righteous before God. But Paul says, no, 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 we are of the circumcision. We are what they are trying to be. 
And our, 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 our belonging to God results in a worship that is energized by the Holy Spirit. And the work that we boast in isn't our work. The work that we boast in is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We boast in, we brag in him and in him alone. Paul's trying to make sure at this moment that we're, we're equipped and ready to rejoice. And that's not going to come from building your own spiritual resume. And he continues to drive that point home as he shares his story with us. It's a fascinating read once you start in verse 3. He, he just walks through. Sorry, verse 4. He says, although I, Paul, have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anybody else thinks he's got grounds for confidence in the flesh, I got more. And here he goes. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, that means nothing to us. That means he is a born Hebrew. He was not adopted. He was not a convert. He was born into that, that nation that was adopted by God. He was, by birth, a child of God, pure Hebrew circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people and of the nation of Israel. He is a descendant of one of the greatest fathers in their history of Father Abraham. And you can all sing the song in your head for the next 20 minutes if you want. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. That's Benjamin, Jacob's favorite son, a very distinguished tribe. The, the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin, and his name was Saul. I've, I'm in that line. And, and in that, uh, that uh, ethnicity, in that culture, the, the following uh, the um, genealogy was very important, so to be in that line was, was of huge importance. Tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Um, I'll, I'll put it in a Frankism. He's basically saying in that moment, I'm the man. I'm the man. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You find anybody of Hebrew ethnicity, and they will not be more pure Hebrew than I am. You find anybody who follows the, the Jewish tradition, you will not find anybody who follows it more closely than I do. In fact, I refuse to speak the tongue of the day, the Hellenistic tongue of Greek. I will maintain my Hebrew language. I am sticking to my tradition. I am a Pharisee. I'm highly educated. I am passionate about my rules. And it's funny, we, and I do, I, I give the Pharisees a hard time. I believe we should give the Pharisees a hard time. I think they missed the point, like we do. I think that's why they have such a prominent role in the Gospels. But Pharisees, they knew their Bible better than you do. That's not an affront, that's just truth. We, we were at Stafford Street this weekend and we heard a fellow say this, and it's true. As it's you and I get into our yearly Bible reading program, we make it to mid-February in the book of Leviticus, and we're like, eh, I'm going forward to John. The Pharisees memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't just read it. They memorized it. Imagine memorizing those genealogies. They... I was a Pharisee, highly educated, respected because of the commitment I had in my religion. As for zeal... I persecuted the church. He wasn't just a zealous theologian who sat behind closed doors with his thoughts. His zeal was put into action, and in his beliefs, he believed that Christians should be executed, so he took an active role in that. You, you, you want to talk about my, my uh, accreditation? You want to talk about my abilities? You want to talk about my confidence in the flesh? When it comes to obedience to the law blameless. So how many of you could say that uh, 
between, I don't know, let's say 8 o'clock yesterday morning and 9.36 this morning, that when it pertains to the laws of the road, just the laws of the road, you are blameless. Almost did it again. Raise your hand. Okay. Nope. I drove home from staff retreat yesterday. I saw a number of our staff, pastors and elders, driving home from staff retreat yesterday. Not many of us can make that claim. Just saying, we might need an intervention. (laughs) As to the law, blameless, it doesn't mean he was perfect. It means that he lived in such a way, regularly repenting and seeking so very strongly to obey the law that no one could stand in front of him and make an accusation because chances were good he was obeying his rules. So he runs through this whole list, and it's an incredibly impressive list. And then he gets to the end of it, and, and what you find is in everything he could possibly achieve in his system, he actually lacked the one thing he needed, which is righteousness. He says that in verse 7. Everything, all of that, everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Jesus Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. With all of those achievements and all of those credits in his account, he saw Jesus Christ as something that was worth trading his everything for. He was willing to trade his rituals, his identity, his traditions, his religion, his comfort, his his relationships. He was willing to suffer even to die for Jesus Christ. Why? Let's finish verse 8. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but having a righteousness that is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Why was he willing to trade his everything for Jesus? Because in Jesus, he received righteousness. And don't don't miss that. It's received. It's not earned. It wasn't because he was a Pharisee. It wasn't because he was zealous. It wasn't because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It was because of Jesus. He had his righteousness. We need to repent of working for our righteousness. Let me, let me explain that just a little bit. When we talk about repentance, we, we tend to think about repenting from those active sins that we have protected. I need to repent. I murdered some, That was pretty extreme. Sorry. I murdered somebody. I need to repent from that. Absolutely, you do. Absolutely. Okay. I'm not making light of that. Okay. I lie. I steal. I, I lust. Um, I, all of those things. I, I must repent from those sins. But I'm going to tell you right now, repenting for murder, adultery, lying, stealing doesn't make you a Christian. It made some of you very uncomfortable. Maybe I explain it this way. There's a story that Pastor Tim Keller tells, um, and I I don't get all the details right, so please forgive me, but he was sharing a story about a, a missionary who was working in the Brazilian jungle. And as he's in the Brazilian jungle, after years and years and years of, of sharing the gospel with these tribal people, one man came up to him and said, sir, I think I finally figured it out. So you tell me to be a Christian, I need to stop going on raids of other villages. Yes! You tell me to be a Christian, I need to stop stealing from my neighbors in the, in the village. 
Yes! So, so you tell me to be a Christian, I can't rape anymore. Yes! And the tribal man looked at the missionary and said, then I must be a Christian. Because he's 95 years old. And he stopped doing those things years ago. See, repenting from those things doesn't make you a Christian. You can stop sinning and still be separated from God. What makes you a Christian is repenting from your self-righteousness. What makes you a Christian is repenting from your best attempts to build your resume. See, see Paul, Paul didn't need to change his attitude about sin to become a Christian. He had a great attitude towards sin. He's like, no, when it came to touching the law, man, I am blameless. I took no part in those things. But what he needed to repent from is his attitude towards what gave him righteousness, what made him acceptable to God. Paul had, Paul had to repent of building his own resume. So, so either you trust a resume that you've built over time, or you're going to trust that God gave you a new resume. And that new resume, as Paul describes it here, comes from faith in Jesus Christ. And this is a, a unique way of jumping into the gospel that I don't know that I've done before, but let's try this, okay? When it comes to the gospel and the analogy of a resume, your resume stinks. Your resume, you've got no education, no experience, you have never worked in this field, and yet you are submitting a resume expecting to get a multi-million CEO position. You have no chance of ever receiving that job. Your, your resume, in fact, because you didn't go to somebody who helps you with a resume, lists out all of the failures that you've had, all of the businesses you've led right into the ground, right? Which... <laughs> Interestingly enough, standing before you is a man who it seems like every place he goes, it closes. So you should have been very worried looking at my resume. I did not lie. I was very honest. I went to a Bible college in Wisconsin. Closed. I went to a seminary outside of Philadelphia. Closed. The church I was at in Illinois doesn't exist anymore. You should be nervous. <laughs> but, but in reality, what's what we do is we're like, look at how I failed, look at how I failed, look at how I failed. Now give me that job. I deserve that job. No, you don't. You know what should happen? If you're in HR and you receive that resume, that thing should get posted on the bulletin board for everybody to mock. You don't deserve that job. But Jesus showed up with a perfect resume. All of the accomplishments that you could never do. No failures. And he submitted his resume with your name at the top. See, when Christ came and lived a perfect life and came to the end of his life, instead of seeking a reward for his perfection, he took death on a cross for you. And then three days later, being resurrected, he offered a chance of new life. And he's crying out to you, let my resume count for you. So are you depending on your own hyper attempts at building a resume? You're never going to get there. In, in fact, you're working against yourself by doing that. We're told that all of your righteousnesses piled up from bottom to top are nothing but filthy rags. 
We're told that, that to, to do that, to seek to build your own resume so that you force God's hand to accept you, what you are doing is offensive to God because you disregard and disrespect the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Whose resume are you trusting in? You want to know how, where joy lies? I mean, that's, that's what everybody's looking for. Where's joy? I need joy. I need joy in my life. How come I can't have joy in my life? Here's, here's joy. Joy comes from receiving a righteousness that you don't deserve. Joy also comes from valuing righteousness. So Christian, are you building a resume on your own? I mean, is your joy gone because you are working your tail off trying to earn what can't possibly be earned? Are you working for what's already been given to you? See, at the end of the day, you've got to remember, in Jesus Christ, you are as worthy before God whether or not you made good decisions. You don't define your your worthiness by your resume. Jesus defined your worthiness by his resume. So, you guys almost learned. I don't even know why I bring these up here with me. <laughs> I love our church. I love you put up with me. There's that resume thing, by the way. <laughs> the, the, the reality is you need to preach that message that you are just as worthy because of Jesus' worthiness. You need to preach that to yourself. You need to preach that to yourself every night. You put your head on that pillow, and you put your head on that pillow, and at night what you should say to yourself is, man, okay, I screwed up today. And Lord, I am sorry, but I know that you are faithful and you're just. And that means you are not going to hold me accountable for sins that Jesus already paid for because you're fair and just. And, and I know you can cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And I know that you will dump into me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I know my worthiness and my acceptance in your eyes has everything to do with what Jesus accomplished on the cross and proved by his resurrection. Nothing to do with how much of a failure I am today. Preach it to yourself every night, every morning. Remind yourself of that. Oh boy, here we go. So I have to deal with this verse. The end of verse 8. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and I have considered them as dung, rubbish, refuse. I'm going to be very honest. Paul is intentionally being vulgar in that moment. We have Christianized that word to death to try not to offend people. So, so what, what, what Paul says is, when I compare everything I had to who Jesus is, they are nothing but, and moms are like, no, don't say it, but I'm going to say it, dog poop. <laughs> and, and actually, for those of you playing at home, so now I've talked about dogs, circumcision, and dog poop, all I need to do is mention sex, and I win the pastoral bingo award. Um, <laughs> we're rolling. When compared to Jesus, all of those accomplishments are what you scrape off the bottom of your shoe at the end of the day. It's that gross. It's that vulgar intentionally because we are so foolish that we run to the resume place, and we're like, okay, what do you want to put in your resume? Little of this, please. 
So, so what, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, that, look at Jesus. I can't have joy in what I'm scraping off my shoe. I have joy in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I have joy in the righteousness that he's given me. In Jesus, I have nothing but gain. And so I will gladly give you what's on the bottom of my shoe. I will gladly give you all of my accomplishments. I will leave all of that behind to pursue Jesus Christ. It's the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew chapter 13. There's a man, he's out, he's walking in the field. He happens to just be walking through and he kicks over a stone and he hears a noise and he looks back down and he finds this huge treasure. So, so what he does is, and it's actually you know, a little sneaky, he covers the treasure back up, it says. Then he goes home and he sells everything that he has. Because he knows that everything that he has pales in worth compared to what he just found. Now, it may seem crazy to everybody around him. It may seem absolutely insane that he just sold everything to buy that field that has been sitting there unkept for all those years, but he knows the value of that treasure. Look what you Get, understand being found in him. You have a righteousness you never earned. You have a righteousness that you are never able to earn. This, this, this at its most basic level, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but this at its most basic level is that word justification we started talking about in verse nine. I will be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith, that's justification. That's being freed from the penalty of sin. And you remember the way I defined justification a few weeks ago was, just remember it this way, just as if I'd never sinned. I was rebuked in my heart this week when I came across something that somebody wrote, and they're absolutely right. It's more than that. Justification isn't just as if I've never sinned. Justification is just as if I've always obeyed. That's how God sees you. Not, not just, okay, there, I'll just whitewash it, we're good. No, 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 no. He views you through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That on your worst days, he sees you as perfect as his son. Paul says, man, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked by seeking to build your own resume, but accept the resume of Christ for you. And then after you've received Jesus' resume, read it often. Reflect in it. Preach it to yourself. Wash in it. Bathe in it. Be reminded of it. Because that's what brings true joy. And that's what we do every month. That's, what it, that's what's sitting up on these tables, the, the elements for us to, to observe communion together. Now, for those of you that are, are guests with us, man, I'm just going to lay this out for you. We, we, we observe communion and, and we look at it as a picture. We view it as a picture. We, we view the, the crackers as Christ's body, which was broken for you. And, and we view the juice the, as the blood of Jesus Christ, a picture of the blood he was willing to shed to pay for sins. Now, we don't come and expect these things to do something magical for us. These don't save us. These are a reminder of the one who did save us. 
When, when we come, we, 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 we are looking for a reminder of the substitute, Jesus Christ himself, the one who died for my sin, the one who lives for my freedom. It's not a means of grace. It's a reminder of grace already enjoyed. And so if you're a guest with us, I would invite you to, to, to come to the table with us. Now, just logistically speaking, everybody leaves their aisle on their right-hand side that's over here for you, comes to the table and returns on the other side. So if you're a guest with us, I'd invite you to, to, to leave the aisle and, and come to the table and receive the elements, but that's only if you know for a fact that you are in Jesus Christ. Oh, but Frank, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling. I know Jesus Christ, but I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm sinning. And, no, listen. If you know and love Jesus Christ and you're living a life of regular repentance, then man, I invite you to the table. But if you're outside of him, I would encourage you to stay seated where you are. Close your eyes, bow your head, open your Bible, pray. And remember that uh, all of your righteousness piled up as high as it can go, is putrid garbage. But the righteousness of Christ is a precious gift that he longs to give to you. This picture that we observe together and taking communion together is what brings us joy. So in a moment, I will pray. The band will come and they'll play some music, and again, you leave on the right side and you receive the elements. Bring them back to your seats and, and when everybody's received the elements, I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. And while we take communion, we will simply celebrate that Jesus Christ is far more valuable than anything I could bring to the table. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, <clears throat> the precious promise of your word, the precious reminder of your word that in Christ, we're forgiven. Now, Lord, for those who might be with us this morning who don't know Christ, who are depending on their tradition, their family, their morals to bring acceptance from you, Lord, I ask that in this moment, the quietness of our hearts, that they would repent of depending on their own righteousness, depending on themselves to save them. And Father, instead, they would cry out for the Savior who is Jesus Christ. For Christians who are here this morning who are struggling, I pray for grace. I pray you would open their eyes so that they might fully comprehend what it means that they have your righteousness. God, I ask that for those of us who are able to come and participate in communion together, that in this moment we would celebrate and rejoice that Jesus Christ is more than enough. For it's in Jesus' good and holy and precious name I pray, amen.